Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. My kids are currently eight, five, three, and one and a half. My youngest are biological. Our last baby was a surprise baby. We did not expect to adopt again, but because of this show, we fought to keep the siblings together. Our full stories are on podcast at adoption-now.com. I am so happy that you're joining us today and that you are listening to this show. Tells me that you're interested in adoption or you're in the process of adoption or you're adopted or you're a birth parent, which we love on this show. We recently started a new blog called Adoption Is, and I write about what I've learned from interviewing over 100 families. We tell stories here in Adoption Now from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parents. That's also on our website. That blog is new, so I'd love for you to check it out. And don't forget Saturday suggestions on Instagram. These are tips to help you on your adoption journey. Check us out there. Like us, follow us, and review us on iTunes. We would love it. Okay, so today we are going to do something a little different. I met a social worker who has worked in adoptions for over 27 years. She started working in the child welfare system, including intake, child protection, permanency, and adoption. She is now the executive director of Adoption Options, a Colorado adoption agency. Adrienne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Adrienne, when we first met, we sat down and three hours went by. Yes. And every time we meet, it's like that. Yes. So every time. Podcast might be three hours. No, (laughs) we're going to shorten it. But. You have so much wisdom about adoption. I mean, I just rattle off a million questions and you've helped me a lot as a mom and you've helped me understand what's normal and things that I need to address with my children. But first, I want to talk about your experience. 27 years. I mean, you were a social worker first. Yes, I was for a county department of social services. Tell me about that. So I started my career right out when I got out of college with my bachelor's degree and I was living in Indiana. So I worked for social services in Indiana first in Indianapolis. And then when I moved out to Denver to get my master's degree in social work, I worked for Jefferson County Social Services, which is one of the large metro counties in Denver. And I worked there for about nine years. So you have a lot of experience. You've seen great things. You've seen probably horrible things. I mean, how do you unsee that? I think you learn as you get experience how to deal with some of those traumatic experiences that you see. But I can tell you that every one of the families that I worked with truly cared about their child, but they weren't good parents. And that was the piece that was the hardest is because sometimes even though you really want to be a good parent. You you don't have the skills or the coping mechanisms to be a parent. And therefore, a lot of children can't go home because of that. Did you always feel like you were doing what was best for the child? I would hope so, yes. Yeah. Do you think that most foster care systems across the nation are trying to do that? I do truly believe that. It's a very difficult job. And usually caseloads are very high. And so... It's very difficult to sometimes make those good decisions and or the best decisions for children, but I believe truly that's what people are trying to do in this job. 
Okay, so you are an expert, and I went to social media, and I asked our listeners for some questions. I said, okay, listen, we're going to have this expert on. What would you ask a social worker? Because sometimes when you're in the process, you don't want to ask your people. Because you're like, is that a dumb question? Well, they think I shouldn't have a baby. And so you're nervous. And so we got a lot of feedback, so I'm so excited. But we're going to do the Q&A later on the show. Okay. First, I want to talk to you about something that you are really good at doing with adoptive families, and that is training them how to tell your child that you have adopted them. Of course, everybody should do that. But you help me understand what details should be included. Let's start there. So what are some of the things that you tell families? So it kind of depends on when they're adopting. So if they're adopting an infant... A lot of times what we tell them is it's not for your child more as it is for you to practice the story. So we say, put your baby in the car seat in the back of the car and just start driving. Just start telling them the story. It doesn't matter. They're not going to ask you questions. They don't even understand what you're saying, but it's your practice time. It's your time to really get to be familiar with the story and what you're going to say to them. So as they get older, when they ask the question, because they will, you have an answer for them almost immediately. And as that child grows, you're going to be able to discuss more and more about that story when it's developmentally appropriate, basically. It's hard to know what that is. It's really hard at three or four or five to know how much information do I tell them? Where do you tell parents to start? I mean, if it's been an extremely traumatic story, where do you start with that? Well, if it's traumatic story, okay, again, it depends on the child. So if you've had that child since they were an infant, again, that's the story is just going to be really about you grew in your birth mom's tummy or you're born from my heart. You know, those kind of things that they can kind of start understanding because they're developmentally, they don't really understand those things yet. If it's traumatic because they came out of foster care, what I used to tell families is those children already know what their story is. They just don't have words to that. Mm -hmm. So now it's time to start helping them with words. So for young children, describing what are parents supposed to do? You know, parents are supposed to love you, but parents are also supposed to keep you safe. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, there's somebody that's going to be there when you're sleeping at night, that when you wake up, and nobody's there. That's not okay. That's what not what parents do. So you're really trying to show them what parents are supposed to do and that, that their birth family w- wasn't able to do that if that's why they were removed from into foster care or whatever the situation might be. So I think it just depends on, again, the story. Obviously, if it's a traumatic, a really traumatic story, then you need to wait until they're age appropriate. So meaning that you can start talking to them a little bit about it, but they're going to dictate what they want to hear. So they, if they ask you a question, you can start talking, but when they're done, they're going to turn around and walk away or they're going to shut down or whatever because they don't need to hear all of that. So they're going to dictate when they're ready to hear what they're ready to hear. You believe that they should know their full story. I do. Even if they were born addicted to drugs or if the mother was raped, why do you believe that? Because it's their story. And it's not our right to take their story away from them. And so even though it's a difficult story, it's really more difficult for the parents to be able to figure out what to say than it really is for the child to hear their story. Because again, it is their story. And I'm a firm believer of that. I've worked with lots and lots of families, but I've worked more with children. And when they grow up, 
when you withhold that information as a parent to that child, they know and they then they find out the truth because they do, because eventually they will start searching and they will find the truth that they then don't, don't trust you to be the person that they've always believed would tell them the truth. And so it's better just to tell them in an honest, straightforward way, again, developmentally appropriate times, what their story is because they have a right to that story. But why rape? Why do you have to tell them that? So when a woman is raped, she is a victim. So when you don't tell the child what really happened, she no longer is a victim. She's now, you know, somebody that has slept around with people or she put herself into a position where she was not a victim. So that's not really fair mm-hmm. because that's, a chi- again, a child should know what the situation was mm-hmm. of the reason they don't live with their birth family. You don't really think about that, that the alternative is that the mother was sleeping around and doesn't know the birth dad. Correct. And so you make that story up. And so telling them the truth, it's so hard. Some of you are listening to this and you're thinking, I can't even, I can't even start. I That overwhelms me. But again, I have found that it has more to do with me than it does with my child. And I'm going to tell you a really funny story when I tried to do this myself. But first, tell the story that you told me about the little girls that were adopted and the mom was telling them that their birth mother had struggled with drugs and that they were born addicted. So I actually teach a life books class. And in there, I'm teaching foster families and adoptive families how to talk to their children about adoption, but also about their life story. And so there was an example of a foster mom who had adopted four children, and two of them were biological siblings, and they were uh, young girls. They were probably, I think they were probably, they were school age, so maybe eight and nine or eight and ten, but she pulled out their life book and and she showed them the reasons why they were removed and put into foster care to begin with because their mother was drug addicted and she had delivered both of them and they both were drug addicted in the hospital. And they both had this aha moment, these young girls, and they were they looked down at these these pictures that she was talking about and showing them their story. And they both said, wow, is that why we act sometimes the way we do? Why we can't like concentrate in school or we might get in trouble with something else? And she was like, it was an epiphany, not only for them, but for me too, that that showed them it wasn't their fault. Mm -hmm. It was something that they had been born with. I think that is so powerful. And I think it's hard at times because we make it hard. Like you said, I am terrible with conversations with my children in general. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. My husband's going to kill me, but my son is eight and he is very, he's just very innocent. And we're watching The Voice because that's like the one show that we feel like is pretty clean and they like to watch Blake turn around and they really get into it. (laughs) And they're telling the story about how this mother was taken from her daughter because she did drugs. The mother had fallen into drugs later. The, The child was like 10 and she came home one day and the mom was arrested. And it was this very dramatic story. And AJ's like really upset by it. And he says, mom, what's a drug? Well, I had not practiced what it, what a drug was to an eight-year-old. And I'm reeling thinking, I don't want to say it's something that's bad that you take because what if he sees me taking like 
you know, an Advil and he's like, my mom's on drugs. She's going to jail. Cause he's very, he goes there. So I didn't want to say that. And then I didn't want to say cigarettes or like, sm- I just didn't have the words. I didn't practice Adrian. It was so bad. I said, it's, it's something that people put in their nose. <laughs> and then I was like, Noah, I'm calling my husband, like back up. I'm not doing a good job. And he comes down and of course, Noah's awesome and handles it. But I just am like that across the board. I do have to practice things. I don't want, because you don't want to like pull your children out of their innocence. You don't want to scare them, but you do want to educate them. And it's important to tell the truth. And so you don't know where that line is. And so after talking to you, I sat my children down because you said, and we're going to talk a little bit more about life books. So remind me, but you said, if you make it natural and you talk about these things on a day-to-day basis, you know, while you're cooking dinner, when it comes up, don't always wait for your child to approach you because sometimes they won't. They don't know how to ask you. So I sat them down. I'm like cooking dinner and I kind of sit them down. I say, hey guys, I just want to talk to you. So eight, five, and three. And I said, you know, you guys are adopted. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so you have birth parents. Do you guys want to talk about your birth parents? (laughs) And they're like, um, okay. And, and AJ's like, well, what's my birth mom's name, which I've told him, but we kind of went down that road again. And I could see that he was sort of thinking about it. Lily was like, oh, well. And of course the three-year-old was kind of like, yeah, she was following what AJ was doing. So my husband turns around like, what are you doing? Why you have not even talked to me that you're doing this, but I didn't want to make it like everybody sit down. We're having this weird conversation. Mm -hmm. I really wanted it to be natural. So that's over. And I didn't know what really sank in. So the next day I was playing cards with AJ. So we started playing like a couple games of cards with him at night so that he will talk to us. It's after homework. The girls are put to bed. It's like his time. Mm -hmm. And so we're playing cards. And I said, hey, I had that conversation with you yesterday. You know, what did you think about it? And if you need to talk about adoption, I'm here. He reaches over to me. He puts his hand on my arm and he says, mom, I'm okay that I was adopted. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, my family that I was born to couldn't take care of me, but you were a family that could, and I'm okay with it. And I'm happy I'm here. And I love my mom and dad. I love you guys. And I was like, thank you so much. Like it was so profound at eight years old to say like, you can calm down and thank you for opening that conversation up. But I'm I'm happy I'm at peace. And I felt like, it wasn't like he was saying, I never want to talk about it, but I think he was saying you know, if you're talking about this because you feel bad about it, I don't feel bad. We can go there another time, but it gave me a lot of peace as a mother. So I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I can't approach it. I want to encourage you that kids can handle a lot more than you think they can. And honestly, they can feel your heart. They can tell if you are saying this is going to be hard but I'm here with you in this moment. And I felt like that's the moment that he and I had. Now, I can't speak for the other ones, right? Because we haven't gone down that journey yet. But at least for him, I want to encourage parents that it's not as scary as you might think it would be. I would totally agree with you. And it's clear that he has heard those things before and was comfortable with knowing that you're going to be there. And I think that's really the bottom line is that, you know, kids aren't going to have questions every single 
minute of the day. You know, they're going about their life. They're living their life. They're doing what kids do and everything else. It's when they will start having those kind of questions. And preteen usually is when it starts really coming up for them because it's a natural thing for children to want to know. If you think about it, we all want to know where we came from. Who are we? where are we going to be going in our life and all those kind of things. And as kids go into those developmental years around preteen and those identity issues start arising, that's when they're really going to say, you know, I know I'm adopted and I need to ask some questions and you're going to be okay with answering those questions when they do come up. So I think the sooner you can start the dialogue, the easier it's going to be for everybody because they're going to know that they then can approach you with asking those questions. I had a mom talk to me about this recently, like within the last few days, and she said she was afraid to bring it up because her kids had not brought it up yet. And I said, well, if they're like eight and 10, you're going to need to do that. And I said, if you are comfortable with it, they may pop out of their happy bubble because that's what we don't want. We don't want our kids to stop and feel bad. Like they're doing their homework and they're enjoying their lives. And all of a sudden we're like, hey, I just want to tell you, you were born you know, with a (laughs) drug addiction. But I believe that if you make it natural, they may pop out of that happy bubble for a second. And that's important for them to do that and know that they can circle back around into a safe, happy environment again. We need to learn that as adults. We can go to really uncomfortable places. We can find our way back to the calm, to the peace And I think that if we create that environment, it's the best way to do it. I think it's not healthy if we are constantly creating this happy environment. It's not real. It's not real. And when they go to school and somebody says, why are you adopted? Or what somebody's going to take them out of that happy bubble. So parents, we need to be the first ones to sit them down and say, hey, is there anything you want to talk about? And I just want to tell you some details. And start small. I did that with Lily. You heard a podcast a few weeks ago where I showed her a picture of her birth parents and she didn't want to look at it. And that was okay. And I was like, okay, well, they're here on my computer. If you want to circle around, we can do that. And she did. She did. She said, I want to see that again and tell me about them. And she asked a couple questions, what she could take in. And then she went off and played. Mm -hmm. And we're just starting this ebb and flow of asking questions. I answer. I'm not freaked out. I needed the practice though, Adrian. I'm so Mm -hmm. bad when I'm asked a question, I'm like, I don't know. I just want to say the right thing. And it's okay if you say the wrong things too. Well, I think it's okay for you to just say, you know, I don't have all the answers. And I, you know, I, I, especially if you're a parent that has a child that you may not have any information about the birth family and they're going to ask questions. And and I think it's okay to say the thing that I know the most is that they loved you. And I don't have a lot of other information. And, you know, at at some point I can help you in that journey to try to find more information. But, but I can't give you a lot right now because I don't have a lot. And I think it's okay. I think kids need to hear that sometimes your their birth family isn't around and they don't they don't know where to go to to search for them, but that you're open to it at the time when it's appropriate for them to do that. If we don't talk to them, they start to fantasize. Correct. And fantasies, you know, you're not going to cut out all the fantasies for a child. I mean, that's just normal. However, when kids don't have their information that's correct, then a fantasy can actually be dangerous. They start thinking that it's better someplace else or maybe their parent is better now. And, and 
especially if they're parenting other children. Sometimes that happens too, and they know that. I, I think they just need to hear why couldn't they parent them at the time when they made the decision or didn't make a decision, because sometimes it's not their decision either. It's the court's decision. But why couldn't they parent at that point in time? And that those things don't always go away. And some of those things are very dangerous for kids. And just because you're older and you get older doesn't mean that those dangerous behaviors have gone away. And so even kids that are older that search need to be prepared for what what is at the other end of that because it's not necessarily changed. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about life books. So I'm a big proponent of life books because again, in adoption, there was, I think when you have a birth child, it's called a baby book. And so you chronologically document that child's from the very beginning all, all the way up. But when children are adopted, and especially if they're adopted older, they have lost sometimes that beginning pieces of their life. And as the adoptive parent, it's really kind of, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of your responsibility to help that child document the beginning parts of their life. Because kids will fixate on a particular point where they don't have something. So for example, I worked with a 16-year-old that she never had a baby picture and she had moved so many times in foster care before ending up with her adoptive family that she fantasized about what she looked like. She didn't even believe she was a baby. She believed that she literally was born at like five years old. She knew that she had to have been a baby, but for her, there was no pictures. So, you know, it was an opportunity and that adoptive mom really took her and really started rebuilding her life. And it was an incredibly powerful experience. It was a bonding experience. Those two became very, very close and connected because she was able to help her regain who she was from infancy all the way up to 16. Mm-hmm. And she took her back to every single placement that she'd ever lived in. She had she documented all that stuff with her. But at the end of the day, she became, I mean, she had her life rebuilt for her and it was it was very powerful. And so I'm a big proponent of life books. I think children have a right to know where they came from, where they're going and who they are. And you can do that through a life book. It is not a baby book. It's not a scrapbook. It is their life story. And so they should work on it. Where do you get them? You can get them online. There's a lot of places. Actually, there's some free resources out there, some foster parent associations. If you get on and Google life books, you can find all kinds of books out there. So you can put one together yourself. There's people that have like blank life book pages, so you can make your own. There's ones for teenagers. There's ones for young kids. There's all kinds of resources. That's awesome. I love that so much. I think that that can help a lot of families, including our own. Okay, Adrian, we have to take a break. When we come back, we are going to answer some of those questions that you have. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Adrienne. She's the executive director of Adoption Options. 
And we are talking about life books. We're talking about telling your child that they're adopted, which is very important. And I think that we are moving in that direction as a community this day and age. I mean, it's so important. There are people who did not tell their children they were adopted and it's devastating. And so we want healthy adoption. So telling your child that they're adopted and how you tell them, when you tell them and telling them the full story, which can be very difficult. I shared a story where I tried to do that with my kids. And you know what? It takes practice. I am not great at it. And as an adoptive mom, I didn't even think about having to do that when I started this journey and how important it is. And so I am so thankful to have met Adrian, and she has helped our family a lot. Now, we have some questions from our listeners. Are you ready to answer those, Adrian? Sure. Okay. So someone asked me what sort of thing should a family have in place before the home study? Like, should there be a certain income or what kind of house? So I think, again, it depends on what age child you're looking for. So as an, if you're looking to an adopt an infant, I think some of the things that should be in place, first, I would do a lot of research. I don't believe that you should pick necessarily the first adoption agency. I think I would, if it was me, I would interview all kinds of adoption agencies and make sure that the one that you're picking feels good to you and feels like they're going to support you because this is a tough journey. There's, I think as adoptive parents, you lose all control until you get to be a parent, which is not until finalization of an adoption. So I think you have to feel comfortable with whoever you're going to pick. And then as far as like some things that you should have to be ready, as far as financial goes, I know a lot of people worry about that. I feel like If you have a good income and you can put some towards savings and not have everything that's coming in going out and then some, I think you're an appropriate place to adopt. So I don't necessarily think you have to have so much money or a certain amount of money, but I do think that you need to know how to budget in case those times happen where something happens and one of you could lose your job or, you know, whatever, that you have something to to fall back on. As far as your home goes, depending on the age child you're looking for, I think if it's a baby, you're going to have some time to probably childproof your home. But those are things you should be thinking about. So if we're coming into to the home to do a home study, which is your home assessment that you would have to do to be an approved family, we're going to be looking for certain things. So we're looking at, do you have an appropriate amount of space for a child? So is it just a one bedroom or is it a two bedroom or more? Depends on what, what again, what age child you're looking for. If you have weapons in your house, are they locked up? Are they stored so that a child couldn't get into something like that? So you're you're really trying to make your home as as childproof, but also you know, as appropriate as possible. So no one's going in and looking in your cabinets to see if you have enough food or any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're going to be looking at, you know, just the space that you have and to make sure that your home is safe for a child. So I don't know if there's some other questions, but I I think and also where you're at as far as like, where are you with adoption? Is it because you want to build your family and that adoption is, is what you see building your family? Or is it that, you know, is it a, it shouldn't be a second choice. And so if you're still in the grief and loss process because you can't have a child biologically, then I think we're going to look at whether it's a, it's an appropriate time for you to start looking at adoption or do you need to grieve that loss of that Mm -hmm. child before you start? That's good. I didn't really think about that, but it is true because if you bring home a child that doesn't stay with you, 
it's devastating mm-hmm. for those that have not already grieved and gone through that. I think that's a great point. I remember when we started, my biggest fear was that we had student loans. I was like, they're never going to let us adopt a baby because of our student loans. And turned out that was not a big issue because all of our money wasn't going towards student loans. You know, we were budgeting and and we were in an apartment. I remember thinking they're never going to let us take home a baby in an apartment. And they did because we had two bedrooms. So that is not what you're looking at necessarily. No. If no. you own a home or no. if you're renting. No, again, it, what's going out isn't more than what's coming in. That is really what we're looking for. And I can't speak for every agency, but I can speak for a majority of them. That's They're not going to be concerned about that. We have families that come in that have had infertility issues for years, and they've spent all kinds of money on that. And they do have debt. But again, it's how they manage that. Okay. What is the best tip you have for newbies looking to adopt? education is so important. So I would definitely say uh, take advantage of your education classes because I do believe that it helps with some of the fears around what is adoption going to look like. But it also helps you look at how to look at grief and loss and how to look at your expectations and how are you going to live knowing that this child is going to potentially love another adult and that's okay that because their birth family can be important to them it doesn't mean that's taken away from you as an adoptive parent as a parent to that child that they can love many people so i think the education classes figuring out what your expectations are for this child because unfortunately again grieve that loss of of that birth child or parent if you've parented other children and you have that experience that this child coming in won't give it's not going to be what you think it's going to be And so I think if you can accept and be flexible in that, I think that's going to be the best advice I could give you. It could be really awesome. You know, that was one of the things I really shortchanged myself when going into it. I did not want to share that baby. I did not want to. And I was not thrilled about open adoption. I remember going through the classes and thinking, I'm not, I don't want to do this. Like, I want this baby to be my baby. Mm -hmm. And as I got educated, I realized I could... I mean, I could be adopting so much more than just the baby. Mm -hmm. I could have this relationship. I could know extended family. This could be amazing. And for a lot of people, it is. So don't be afraid of that. And I agree with you. When it comes to education, really listen to what they are saying. I did not do that. And I think the majority of people take the good and say, that's going to be my story. And when the challenging parts of the education come out. They say, oh, that's not going to be me. I'm going to mm-hmm. shut that down. And I can't change you from saying that, right? Because everybody does it. That's that's not going to be my story. That child is not going to act like this. But what I wish I would have done is said to myself, okay, what would I do if I was in that situation? I hope that's not going to be my story, but what would I do if? And just thinking about the education piece and what if, it is challenging. What if the child doesn't attach as fast? What if you don't attach as fast as you think you will? I mean, all of those things are a part of the education, but I guess my advice, and they're not asking me, but I'm just going to give it anyways, is that you really listen and you're open and don't shut down any part of the education because it seems like, oh, this this person has been in it for so long. They're so rigid. That's what I was thinking. Everybody's rigid. Nobody has the the belief and the hope that I have, right? None of this is going to happen to me. And it did. It did. And I have seven adoption stories and four of them 
were challenging but ended really good. Mm -hmm. And three of them were devastating. And because I shut down some of that education, I really had a hard time. And I really had to look for other resources because I didn't take good notes. So that's my advice too, is really, really listen to that. Another thing that someone asked me is, should you always stick to birth order? I think that depends. If you have a birth child and then you adopt, I tend to err on the side of caution and and say, keep that birth order because I do think that it means something for the child that's born to you. When you're talking about adoption, like adopting all kids, Hmm. I think it depends. Some children are fine. And that it doesn't matter if you end up adopting an older child than the child, the first child you adopted. But some ch- children don't handle that very well. And so I think you have to figure out as a parent, your child, how they would be with another child in their home and, and kind of what their personality is. And then I think you make that decision. So it used to be, you know, when I was in social services, we never wanted to break a birth order. And we say that even though there was not necessarily a birth child, it was just, we didn't want to displace a child that had already been in that home. And in, in over my years, I don't know if how much that really matters as much anymore, except that it should be dependent upon the child you have in your home. That's very interesting. I think that's a great answer. I mean, they say, don't do it. We did it. It didn't work out, but I had a family on and they brought a 10 year old home, but they had really small birth children. So they had a year and a half and a six month old. And it was fine because those kids didn't know that they were necessarily the oldest. Right. And so it, it was going to work in that situation. It's always different. I have a question for you though. Mm-hmm. I always wonder if my kids, so AJ is the oldest in my family, but he's not the oldest when it comes to his birth mother. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if he takes on the traits of being the oldest because he's the oldest in our family, or is there some psychological thing in him that he's not the oldest? Does he know he's not the oldest? I don't know. Does he? I, I mean, that's a good question. Does he know he has other siblings? He does, but he acts like the oldest. I mean, he is definitely the oldest. See, some of that is the nature versus nurture. Right. You know, some of it is just the fact that he's the oldest in your family. So he takes on that, those oldest traits. As he gets older, it would be interesting to, to know if then, is he the youngest? Yes. If he takes on some of those baby traits as he gets older and those kind of come out. So some of those personality. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't know. Again, he wasn't, he wasn't being raised by them, was he? No, no, all from birth. Okay. So then it would have to be ingrained. It'd have to be the nature piece. (laughs) So just so interesting. It is. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, it depends on the individual child. I just don't know how it cannot. Wait, repeat that. I, I don't know how it can't be, you can't look at the individual child mm-hmm. when you're making that decision. And so I do know a lot of families that they take in older children through foster care with younger children that are in their home. And as long as that's a safe thing, because that foster child doesn't hurt younger children or, or anything, I've seen families be super successful with that. And their kids grow up fine and nobody has any issues with that. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen the other side of that spectrum too, and again, it just depends. And I think families really need to, when they're thinking about what child will fit in their home and they have other children living in their home, they need to think about both sides of that. Are their children going to be okay 
if a child comes in that's older or is that not going to go okay? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that if we brought an older child home that AJ would be thrilled because he is the oldest. And sometimes when someone says, oh, we're bringing an older child home, I say, well, how is your son going to or your daughter going to react to that because they're the oldest? And they're like, oh, they're going to be fine. And it really breaks my heart because I think, are you sure? Right. Because that's a very important role to them. And so if you have not talked that through and you think it's just going to be fine, like we're all going to love each other. That scares me when somebody says it's just going to work out. So when you just said that we're all going to be fine, we're all going to love each other. That actually is, that's a red flag to me because love doesn't solve everything, especially for older kids. And I hope that no, I I think everybody goes into adoption because they want to obviously give a home to a child and love them and all those kind of things. But in, in, when it comes to reality for children coming from foster care, love is not enough. And you have to be thinking about your children because if you're birth children or children that are in your home already, because if you're not, you are setting not only yourself and your children up, but you're setting that child up because they are going to do everything they can possibly think of to disrupt whatever order you've got going on. And so if you don't acknowledge that and you don't say that, because some children, it could be okay. Again, I think it's individualized. But if you know you have a child that is older children tend to be parentified, they like to parent their younger Mm -hmm. siblings. Even if you are a great parent, they still try to take that role on. And you bring somebody else in that's older than them and they start parenting them, it's not going to go so well. And the, the unfortunate part is, is that the child that has to leave the family is not the is not the child that's been there. It's the child that has come in. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's really good. So you're saying yes and maybe no. You know, yes, it's I'm, individual. I'm, I'm being indecisive on this yes, question. But I think it's good. <laughs> I think it's good to say that because you can't, it's really not a definite answer, but you as a social worker could come into a home and say, yeah, I don't think this is good. Right. I don't think this is going to work out. Or you can come in and say, yeah, I, I mean, it really seems to be fitting together. And that's why you have that time period before you finalize to see how everything is, is going. Okay. Another question. What is the hardest part about being a social worker? This is kind of a hard question because over the years, it's changed. So what's hard in my job right now is obviously looks much different than when I was a social worker in like the county department or even as a caseworker in in the nonprofit. Probably the hardest part is when, okay, I'm going to just say from social services perspective, the hardest part is when children can't always go home to their birth families. That's the hardest part. And it, even though you know that it's not the right place for them, it's still heartbreaking for children because it takes them a long time to understand why they can't. Mm-hmm. Even though they know it's not safe, they know deep down that they can't go home because their mom or dad is doing drugs or there's domestic violence or they're never home or whatever those issues might be. When it, For a child, it doesn't really matter because it's still their home. And so that's that's heartbreaking because it's heartbreaking for everybody. The good part of that is hopefully you find a good family for them that they can go live with and they're going to be happy and they're going to grow up, but they're still going to always have that grief and loss. So those were hard. Going to termination of parental rights, those were always hard cases. Probably on the other side of it and what we do now and working with birth families and adoptive families The hardest part is when a birth parent really knows that she wants to make a plan of adoption, 
but the grief and loss is so difficult in the hospital that she can't make that decision. And so, again, that's heartbreaking because I think she really wants to make that plan, but she just can't get there. And so that's heartbreaking for the family, obviously, that might have known her, and it's heartbreaking for her because a lot of times she's in a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. There's pain on either side, really. Right. Oh, I can't even imagine. Okay, last question. Your favorite adoption experience. <laughs> Your favorite I, story. Okay, so I have so I have a lot of stories that are really, really good. But probably I'm just gonna say the one that I just experienced is we just did a video actually on a family that adopted two boys from foster care. And both of these boys, ten and five, had moved nine times before going to live with this family. And it was the last family they could live with before, if they blew out again of that family, they were going to have to be split because it really wasn't fair to the five-year-old to have to move every single time his brother did something that the family said they couldn't handle and he moved. Mm -hmm. And this video, I mean, she just, both the parents are just talking about what they were both like when they came, how hard the 10-year-old was to to kind of open up and everything and he that he had an experience where he had for two and a half hours literally destroyed everything in their kitchen destroyed all the food broke chairs just all this kind of stuff and then he went and took a nap because he was exhausted after that when those rages happen kids just fall out you know and they go to bed and so he got up and she heard him upstairs wandering around and she went up and she's like what are you looking for and he's like I'm looking for my suitcase and she goes, why? And she, he goes, because I have to leave now because I, because I was bad. Mm. And she's like, you're not leaving. And this family went on to adopt these two boys. So this was the video that we're going to be showing at one of our galas. But it just goes to show that there is a family out there for every child. I truly believe that. I just think that sometimes it doesn't happen fast enough. So mm-hmm. children become adults and they age out of the the foster care system and everything. And I am a firm believer that if we just look hard enough, we can find a family for every child because that was the family for those two boys. And that's, to me, that's why I do this work. Wow. It's an amazing story. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much wisdom. We're going to have you back on because you're like my go-to girl for all the questions. And I'm sure more people will have questions after they hear this. And so we want to have this partnership with you where you come on and you give us advice. And I appreciate you because Adoption Options has honored us, our family, with a great award. Tell us about it. So that award, we give out an award at our gala each year to honor a community member or family that has stepped up or shown up in adoption. And this year we honored your family because of the work that you're doing with adoptive families on this show and having them have an ability to be able to tell their story. And then also the fact that you have children that you've adopted also. So amazing. We were so honored. And you even gave us the award after I told my uh, drugs in the nose story, my (laughs) worst moment. And I just told everybody about it. It was really horrible. But I just want you all to know I'm just a human being too. I am just trying to do the very best I can and be the very best adoptive mom and mom that I can be to my kids. And I would do anything for them. And I want them to be healthy. And that takes work. It doesn't come naturally. It is not easy. You have to go to meetings. You have to read 
anything you can. You have to study resources. You have to listen to podcasts. You have to talk to social workers. I mean, you have to be in it to win it. If you really want your kids to feel understood, you are their advocate. And I believe strongly that if I can help encourage you to do that for your children, then I've made a world of difference. I mean, that is what we're doing here in Adoption Now, and that's our heart and passion. So Adrian, thank you for joining with us in education and helping us. And we look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. <music>